My beloved in Jesus Christ, our Lord, just as a way of reminder, I hope you are all up and fully dressed while you attend these divine services. Remember, when I began the blessing with the gospel, blessed is the kingdom of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ is gathered wherever you are. So we are a church. We are a church very much alive. And this Sunday, we should be prepared for celebrating the divine mysteries, for celebrating the resurrection. So if you find yourself just sitting there with a, a jacket and tie on, but your pajamas on the bottom, well, get dressed. If you find yourself with the recliner laid back while you're listening to me, set it up. Put your coffee down. You haven't turned into a television show something to entertain you. You've here celebrating with us the divine liturgy. We've entered into heavenly realm. And we need to act and stand appropriately. That's the papas talking. Today is the last Sunday we're going to hear a gospel during the divine liturgy about the resurrection. This is the Murabara Sunday. From now on, the rest of the Sundays, until we enter into the Paschal season again, will be about the life of Christ, His earthly ministry. And we will only hear of the resurrection gospels at Matins on Sunday mornings, as we did this morning. So you can see why Matins is so important. Because Matins tells us the whole reason why we're here. The whole focus on Sunday Matins from here throughout the year until we get into the Paschal season or the Holy Week, tells us what we're doing, why we're doing it, who we're doing it for, and who we're glorifying. Because the theme in all these mountain resurrections on Sundays are resurrectional. And thus our tones on Sundays, the tones, the octoectos, one through eight, all have to do with the resurrection. So every Sunday is a little Easter. And that's why it's important to try to keep the life of the cycle of the church going. You've been able to experience Vespers perhaps for the first time in its entirety. And you can see how the cycle of the day works as we draw to the end of the day and prepare to begin the new day. And when the chandelier goes on and we sing, O joyful light, we know that though the sun is setting... The light of Christ is shining within us. And we wait through the night to sing the resurrectional hymns and hear the resurrectional gospel again at Matins. And then at the Divine Liturgy, what we do is celebrate everything that took place. We hear the readings of the memoirs of the apostles, the gospels. We hear of the, from the prophets of Moses and elsewhere in the Old Testament. We call to mind all of that. And then we live it in the divine liturgy through sacrifice and sacrament. And we celebrate this life, not just historically, but in its reality and presence now. So we heard this Sunday of the Murbearers coming early at the dawn. We heard of a tomb, we heard of an angel. And we heard of women. 
Do you remember at Christmas, at great Vespers, with the Liturgy of Basil, and during Vespers we were hearing this theme that all these creation is giving something to this Christ child. Right? We heard about, about the stars and this moon giving, that's what they gave. We gave us, the heavens gave the star to the child. Right? The, the, the shepherds gave their praise. The angels sung hymns. The earth gave a cave. And mankind gave him a mother. So you can see all the heavenly, the whole cosmos, including the heavens, had a part to play in the proclamation of the birth of the Christ child. And we see this theme again with the cave, with the angel, and with the women. At Christ's death, the sun and the stars hid their light. The earth quaked. The temple and the curtain tore. That was bearing witness that the word of God in the flesh died, proclaiming to the cosmos of the reality of this death and how it reverberates here on earth, in the heavens, and below in Hades. But this theme picks up again. For today, instead of the stone being closed, it's now open. The tomb is opened, and the tomb is empty. The angel proclaims he is not here, he is risen, and the are, women are sent. Again, the whole cosmos has a part to play in the proclamation of the gospel that Christ is risen. The material world, in the form of an empty cave, bears witness to the resurrection. It's empty, the stone is rolled away. The angel, there present, proclaiming the resurrection to the women, is the heavenly host there bearing witness, the immaterial heavenly host bearing witness to the resurrection. The material, the immaterial. But it finds its fullness, this proclamation finds its fullness in the women representing you and I. Because you and I are part of the material and immaterial world. We are body and spirit. The cave wasn't, or the tomb wasn't proclaiming for itself Christ is risen. It was proclaiming it for you and for I. The angels weren't proclaiming it for themselves that Christ is risen. It was proclaiming it for you and for I. So the proclamation of the resurrection finds its fulfillment in humanity. Christ didn't come and take on flesh to save the angels. He didn't come and take the flesh to save creation, though all creation is renewed through it. He came and took our flesh and died and rose again to save you and I. This is the great mystery of love that God has for us. And you'll notice... In Christmas, 
There was this outward movement, outward force from the cave of birth into into the world as Christ began to grow and proclaim the good news to the world. Repent. The kingdom of heaven that was once up there is now here. And now we hear today the same explosive moment from an empty cave through the angelic host, through the women, to the world, that Christ is risen. This is the foundation and summit of our faith. For without this, we have nothing. And we can see the truth of this by the fact that it has endured for so long. We've been reading this past week in the Acts of the Apostles. And we've been hearing about Peter and John going out and preaching the the word, preaching the good news. And they would get arrested. And then they would be miraculously released. And they would be found preaching the news again. And they'd be arrested again. They would say, we can't stop speaking of what we know. We know God has done this, and we're not going to deny it. We're going to speak the truth. And so they would speak it regardless. These men that were hiding behind doors before Pentecost were now boldly proclaiming that resurrection to the world, starting in Jerusalem, where it was hostile to them. They didn't go find paradise a place where they could have no resistance to preach the gospel? No. They stayed right in the thick of the hornet's nest, and they proclaimed the good news. Huh. So we think, well, how can this truth be so? I mean, you know, how do we know this is the true faith? How how can it be? Why in the world would somebody be willing to be crucified, scourged, or endure all these other unspeakable tortures in the name of Christ for a lie. There have to be some, something inside them that propelled them to this truth to be willing to endure. Just read the life of the martyrs and you'll see all that they endured. There was something. We celebrated the feast of our great martyr George whom we have over here. There was a truth there that he... A highly intelligent man, very brave man, was willing to die for. The gospel is going to be proclaimed through thick and thin. Sometimes it will be proclaimed openly and freely and it will spread like fire. And other times it will have to fight just to keep an ember going. But it will always be proclaimed. Back to the Acts of the Apostles. Really, this is the only thing I wanted to say, and I want you to commit it to memory. I want you to look it up in Scripture. I want you to read it and never forget it. In light of everything that's happening around us today and then things that will happen around us in the years to come, Peter and John, they were arrested again. And they were told that they weren't supposed to speak of this man Jesus ever again. And then another Pharisee stood up. Gamaliel, he taught St. Paul before he was St. Paul. He was the teacher of Saul. 
And Gamaliel said to the men, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and all gathered there, Before you do anything, listen to what I have to say. Do you remember in the past of Theodos, of Theodos and how he and 400 men were considered to be this enlightened group and people were following him, but when he died, it completely disbanded and nothing more remains of him? Do you remember, he says, Judas of Galilee during the time of the census? How he and his followers, people thought that maybe he was something. When he died, they all disbanded and it came to nothing. Gamaliel would say, don't do anything to these men. For if it is what they're doing is of human origin, it is going to dissipate, disintegrate, just like it did with Theodos and with Judas from Galilee before the census, at the time of the census. It will come to nothing. But if it is of God, then it will continue and we will find ourselves fighting against God. Okay, that is just a few years after the resurrection that this took place. St. Paul wasn't even on the scene yet. He was part of the Sanhedrin. But they continued to proclaim the gospel from that point on all the way to our present day. Not just for our 10 years and it dissipates, or 30 years and it dissipates, or for 50 years and it dissipates, or even for 100 years or 500 years. The proclaiming of the gospel has gone on for thousands of years now, over 2,000 and some years. And it's still going. The gospel is still being proclaimed. Which shows the truth of the gospel. Gamaliel was right. If it's of God, it can't be stopped. And everyone will find themselves fighting against God. Those words, and I encourage you to look up, Look it up in the Acts of the Apostles. I'm not going to tell you exactly where, but I will tell you it's within chapters 3 and 7. You look in, in there, and you will find it. The gospel is going to be proclaimed. No force in the world can stop it. It can be muffled, but it won't be stopped, because somewhere it will be proclaimed. We're the ones to proclaim it. We have heard the scriptures. We're celebrating the reality and sacrament and sacrifice. And now you and I are called to be like the myrrh the fullness of the cosmos. A microcosm is what the fathers would call us, where all creation finds its fullness and fulfillment in us. And through that, we give praise to God. We are called to go out and proclaim the good news. Proclaim the fact that Jesus was the Word of God in the flesh, God's own Son. 
He died to forgive our sins and to destroy death by his death and give us new life. And he commissioned us to go out and proclaim that good news to the world. It's not an option. It's not an option. If you proclaim, profess me before men, my heavenly Father will acknowledge you. But if you don't acknowledge me, my heavenly Father won't acknowledge you. So we have a responsibility if we want part of the heavenly kingdom. We have to take ownership of it by our own proclamation of the gospel. So we try in our small way to proclaim the gospel by celebrating the divine services, by keeping the cycle of life going, because we're not only recalling the past, but we're participating in it as it's lived out in the present and as it will be lived out in the future. You are now the myrrh bearers. You have been anointed. The myrrh bearers came to anoint and found themselves anointed by going out and proclaiming the good news. You're anointed. You're the body of Christ. And you're right now, this morning, scattered all around the Puget Sound and maybe across the country, maybe our family in D.C. is watching. We're scattered around. But we're commissioned to proclaim the good news that Christ is risen. In word and deed, In word and in deed. So live a life of joy, proclaiming the good news that Christ has risen. Because no obstacle in this world can stop it. Not even Satan himself can thwart it. The gospel is always going to be proclaimed. And we are participating in that proclamation, the proclamation of these myrrh bearers that were in there thousands of years ago proclaiming it to the apostles. You and I are participating in that same proclamation today. As we celebrate in Matins, as we celebrate the divine liturgy, and hear the proclamation of the gospel, that's our proclamation too. For we are both of the material and immaterial realm. The whole cosmos finds its fulfillment in us, and we are to tell the world that Christ is risen. This is a joyous day. And Christianity should be a joyous Christianity. Because it's founded on hope. A firm and sure hope. One that time and man has not been able to destroy. This is what we believe. And this is what we profess. That Christ had risen from the dead, and by death he trampled death, and those of the tombs he granted life. He's granted life to you and I. Now let's go out into the world and share that new life, as did the myrrh bearers, in joy. Christ is risen.